Morning, uh, friends online and those in person here. Uh, I'm Dennis Beausejour. We're going to continue worshiping by being in the Word. And when we started the whole COVID adventure back on March 15th, um, I uh, taught you a Japanese word called kiki, and it's their word for crisis. And it's made up of two characters, one that means danger and one that means opportunity. And that has most certainly been true over the last six months. And as we look at the life of David, we are seeing a man after God's heart who's living at a time of crisis, who's living at a time of uncertainty, who's living at a time of danger, and he is uh, communing with God, and he is our case study in a man after God's heart. Poet, warrior, worshiper, king, prophet. He is being trained by God through these early experiences in his life. And today we're going to dive in to uh, see how King David deals with these uh, crisis situations and how he learns to walk with God. And so this morning as we uh, dive into the text of uh, 1 Samuel 24, 25, and 26, I want to just remind you that why we look at David is we can see and understand how God wants to leave, lead us uh, by his Spirit. Now we're also in these sessions, uh, Jamie and I are doing more of an interactive series of messages here. And I want to remind us that we're trying to gear ourselves towards obedience-based disciple-making. That is, when we hear a message from the Scriptures uh, and we don't put it into practice, we don't obey, we're actually discipling ourselves into disobedience. And the more that we... Uh, receive from God's word and the more that we don't put it into practice we move into disobedience and we become accountable for everything we've heard but if we're not putting it into practice then we're falling into a desperately difficult desperately bad situation as disciples so we've been encouraging uh, everyone to read the scriptures ahead of time to come ready we're going to have an opportunity this morning for you uh, who are here live to uh, make comments, uh, indicate what God's leading you in, in these scriptures. Uh, same for you online. We have people monitoring YouTube and Facebook. So if you have input, we're going to give time for that. But our goal is to leave here today with some very clear I will statements. And, and we don't have to do every single thing we see in the text, but let the Holy Spirit point you to the thing that he's putting his finger on in your life. So let's take last week. My I will statements from last week. Uh, basically, we looked at David and Jonathan, and what I saw was that the relationship they had is the relationship we have in Christ, in the body of Christ. And so my I will statement was, to take every single person I was either going to meet with or talk on the phone or text and to uh, 
write them in my journal early in the morning and ask God, God, what are you doing with this person? How, how can I treat them as a covenant brother or sister, as a covenant partner? Or if they're not believers, how can I honor them in the image of God for who they are? And how can I bless them? How can I encourage them? And it's been amazing because all week I've been doing that in the morning and I've been then, whatever God gives me, I've been giving to them. And it's just been really encouraging and really, um, it's like an adventure, following each day with God, letting him speak into uh, the lives of those that I'm going to interact with. So let me just remind us where we are now with David. So in the first uh, session we did on this series in David, we were in Bethlehem, and he was an obscure shepherd, and he was anointed to be the new king by Samuel. The last two weeks, sessions two and three, we were with David as he was essentially in Gibeah serving Saul, either going back and forth from Bethlehem to play the harp for Saul when he was getting attacked by this evil spirit, or to serve in Saul's army, and he was getting promoted. Saul was killing a thousands, David was killing ten thousands, he killed Goliath. So David is becoming more and more famous, and then David makes a friendship with Jonathan, and that trips Saul. And Saul now becomes uh, dedicated to eliminating David, which moves us into this third section of his life I'm calling Cave Hideout. Uh, he's in the stronghold. He's in the, either the cave of Adullam or the caves that we're going to see today in Gedi or uh, in Hakila and all over the desert of Paran and the desert of Ziph down south of where uh, Bethlehem is. And he's gathering his warriors. We're going to learn a little bit more about those guys next week. But he's gathering his warriors to him. These are men that are seeking strong leadership. But he is a fugitive. And Saul is trying to kill him. So that's where we are. And today we're going to look at three chapters. Chapter 24, chapter 25, and chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. So in the first chapter, David is going to be hunted down by Saul. He's going to spare Saul's life. He's going to promise not to uh, kill Saul's descendants. In the second chapter, uh, he's going to have an interaction with a man named Nabal and a prophetess by the name of Abigail. Uh, and he's going to uh, learn to spare Nabal's life. He's going to learn, actually, to let God do the work. And then in chapter 26, again, Saul comes after him, and he's going to spare Saul's life. And uh, that will be their final meeting uh, before Saul's death. So that's what we're going to do today. And here's the big idea. The big idea is we're going to learn today to know the will and the timing of God. This actually is a vital skill for a follower of Jesus. We're in the middle of a crazy season, folks. We're in the middle of wildfires burning millions of acres. No good air to breathe on the West Coast. We're talking about floods in the center south part of the country from Florida over to Louisiana. We're talking about hurricanes. We're talking about storms. Uh, we are in the midst of a pandemic, again, all kinds of conflicting information coming in on that, and then layer on top of that a negatively contested election 
with all of the fear-mongering that goes on with that. And in the middle of that, people of God are to hear his voice. Individually and collectively, we're to walk in peace and serenity and confidence in the middle of that. But to do that, we have to know what the Spirit is saying. So today our prayer uh, and, and my exciting and my excitement is, is that we begin in fresh ways to hear the Spirit of God and to be individually uh, intimately walking with God, but also collectively as a congregation to know the times, to be like the men in, of Issachar, to know the times and to know what we should be doing and to step into that uh, in wisdom. So I'm going to start with some prayer because Psalm number 6 is a perfect prayer for us to think about as we come into today's uh, text and today's service uh, where David teaches us how to pray. He has, been, uh, with, he has been with the Lord. He has been in anguish. He has been through some of the circumstances that we are experiencing today. And he prays this prayer. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. He's absolutely confident that he's hearing the Lord and the Lord is hearing him. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. David knows that, uh, as we know, one day all God will set all things right. We have nothing to fear. But we can pour out our hearts to him. We can pour out our tears to him for the situations that we're facing. Some of you have parents that are declining and even in hospice. Uh, and it's near the end. Some of you have uh, challenging pregnancies. We, ha we have all kinds of everything in between of difficulty and stress. We are in the middle of a, uh, a furnace, if you will, of stress. And, and God says, I hear your prayers. Bring every danger. Lord, we bring every danger and burden to you today. We ask you to help us stand firm against the enemy. To remind us that the enemy, Lord, is not people, but is the powers and principalities in the dark places, the evil spirits and wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. So, Lord, is as Jesus did in Gethsemane. We lift up all these tensions to you. We ask you, Father, teach us through the life of David, and we pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would know and guide us through each and every danger and each and every opportunity. And God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so we're going to dive into the text. Jamie, come on up and give me a hand. Guys, welcome Jamie up here. And uh, amen. So we're going to... We're going to dive in. The best way to do the first few verses of chapter 24 is with pictures. This first picture uh, is the desert of En Gedi. And on the top, you have the Mediterranean Sea, so you're looking west. Uh, below in the bottom, you have the Dead Sea. And then all those crags and those rocky crevices, those are the that's the desert of En Gedi. And right in front of you, you see a little green in the bottom of the picture. Those are the 
the springs. En Gedi, Ein Gedi, means literally Ein is spring, Gedi is goat. This is the spring of the goats. And these canyons that you can see going in are filled with wild goats. Uh, these are the biblical wild goat. These are ibex, uh, we call them now. They used to be almost extinct in Israel, but they're now flourishing uh, in the crags of uh, the canyons of En Gedi. And these canyons uh, are uh, filled with caves. This is, David's, this is David's territory. We're only about 18 miles from Bethlehem. And this is where he would take his sheep through all these canyons and places. They've got lots of food. They don't look like the green pastures of Kentucky, but these green grasses that grow under the rocks in the desert are 10 times more nutrient than grass in Kentucky. So you see at the bottom of the picture here, uh, shepherds in the caves with these sheep. So what happens in these caves? Everyone, every spring it rains. The rains come flooding through these canyons. They fill the caves with water. So when David said, he leads me beside still waters, he's talking about caves that have been filled with rainwater that have gushed through these canyons. They're now dry, but the water's still in these caves. So this is what the shepherd, and David knows every square inch of this territory. Saul with his 3,000 men comes after him. David is hiding in the cave, and Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. That's right, to go to the bathroom. And David's in the cave with his men, and one of his guys says, hey, the Lord has given him into your hands. This is the time to kill him. And David does not do that. David goes up, and while Saul is not noticing, he cuts a corner off of Saul's robe. I don't have Saul's robe, but I have something that will look very much like that, this corner is off the top and hanging off the back. He probably put it out of the way so he wouldn't get himself dirty. And in this, in this corner of his robe, this corner right here, that's called kanaf. Can you say that? Kanaf. kanaf. And attached to it is a tassel which they were ordered by God to put on their robes. This is the tzitzit. You want to say that? Tzitzit, tzitzit right? So David has cut this part off. And then he has spared Saul's life. He has gone, Saul has gone back out when he's finished doing his business. David says, I'm not going to kill the Lord's anointed. But David is still, David is cut off this vital part of his robe. Now, this is the part the woman would try to touch on Jesus when she was saying, if I just get a hold of this, I'll be healed. This was considered a part of your relationship with God. And David cut that off. So David's heart is not quite 100% altruistic. David is still inwardly struggling with Saul. But he, he's not going to kill him, but he does this. And he, he, he reacts and he realizes maybe he hasn't done the, totally the right thing. But Saul goes out, then he comes out and he holds the corner of his robe and says, hey, you were going to kill me? God gave you into my hands, and we see it in verse 10 here. Next slide. In verse 10, uh, you have seen with your own eyes, Saul, how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is God's anointed. So this first section, David is essentially 
learning not to take by force what God has promised him by grace. David is waiting. Now he's not 100% clean in his heart because he's cut off the robe, but he's waiting and he's learning not to take by force what God has promised him by grace. And so as we come into the close of chapter 24, I just want to say, I want to give an example, a story. I was once interacting with a young couple and they were eager to get married. But the problem was the parents of one of the couple was not in line with the marriage. Was not in line with the marriage. And I told this couple, I said, if you guys are supposed to get married, then God will bring it about. But right now, with one set of parents opposed, you need not take by force what God may want to give you by grace. And they relented, and thank God they did. But it's that reading of the circumstances that we need to learn how to do. Before you put that nasty comment on Facebook, you have to think, is this the right time that God wants me to say this right now? Or in a conversation with someone. So the summary of this first part is, do not take by force what God has promised you by grace. Jamie. Yeah, uh, Dennis and I had a lot of fun this week because we were just thinking through practically, like, how do we do that? How do we follow the Lord's timing? What are the ways that we would know what God is saying for us to do? For instance, you cannot find a Bible verse that tells you marry this person or take this job or vote for this official or whatever. There are no verses that say that. So how do we know God's will? And so when we look at David being a man after God's own heart, practically, we want to look at David's life and say, okay, how was he hearing from the Lord? How was he following the Lord? And so in this particular um, section, there's something really interesting that happens. And, it, and in verse 5, it says that after he cut the kanaf there, the corner of Saul's robe, very interestingly, it says David's heart struck him or his conscience was struck. What we see in David is that something happened on the inside and he realized, uh-oh, I've done something. His heart was struck. And it was interesting, I just looked at that, uh, that phrase, his heart struck. That happens one other time in David's life. It's in 2 Samuel 24, verse 10. It's when David uh, numbers the people and he puts a census out. And the Bible says that his heart was struck and he realized he had sinned against God. So what I'm just wanting to show you something here. There is one way that we can know, and it has to do with the sensitivity in our heart to the Spirit of God. Like, there are times when I'm talking to someone, and I, I'm sure y'all are sanctified and don't do this, but when I'm talking to someone, and then there's this, I start to say something, and I realize I'm saying that because I want to look impressive to the person I'm talking to. Anybody know that? Yeah. I'll start to say mm. something to mm. make them think I'm smarter than I am. And oftentimes, the Lord will just, I will feel in my heart a sense of, uh, I shouldn't say that. Or, you know, those... Those moments of prayer when you're discussing what's going on in, in community and you realize, oh, I think I'm about to start gossiping. I should stop that. You know what I'm talking about? We want to grow in our sensitivity. And David is learning in the little things 
He's learning in the little things what it is to be sensitive. And it's interesting. He's going even against what his own friends are telling him. He's got his buddy there. He says, hey, this is the fulfillment of what you heard from Samuel. This is the fulfillment. Let's do this. His friend is quoting scripture to him. But even interpreted scripture was not the will of God. Are you all hearing me? Let, let me say that again. Even interpreted scripture from a trusted friend wasn't the will of God. It was when he sensed it, his sensitivity to the spirit, that he realized, oh, that's not what God wants me to do. See, this is what we're going after, is the combination of things in our lives. Yes, our friends can come to us and give us wives counsel, but sometimes they don't. Right. Our friends can read scripture to us and quote scripture to us, but sometimes that's not God's will. So are we growing in sensitivity to the spirit of God, whereby I can feel a sense of, oh, my heart is struck. This happens to me in my preaching sometimes. I'll say something, and I'll realize that's not true. And I'll actually say, that's not true, and I will restate the statement because this, my heart is struck. So just want to throw some practical. Ask the Lord to make your heart sensitive to the Spirit of God. That's right. And grow in it. And sometimes you'll say that's not true, but sometimes you'll say that's good preaching. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, that's true. So we're going to open it up here. Does anybody have just something that strikes you as we, we, we conclude this first third of our first chapter of our three-chapter study of David? Yeah, we got somebody over here. <clears throat> and if you've got thoughts online, you can just type them in, and we've got somebody watching social media, so... They'll relay your comments to us. Yeah, if you're that introverted person in small group and you're getting a little signal, it's time to bring it out. It's time to bring it out, even if you're uncomfortable. Yeah, as Jamie was talking, I thought about something that happened with me this week. This week, um, I made a statement that I wasn't real sensitive to a group because the group, the vast majority of the people in the group chose to do something else. I uh, made a statement. Yep. It's good. The Spirit loves to do this. I just had a story just because so I've been talking about sorry, I think I know. I've been talking about my parents this podcast. Um, about how I just feel a little disconnected from the voice of God. But I was on my way home from a neighbor's house the other day and I heard this weird noise. And I just felt this check in my spirit that I should go over. And I was like, I don't want to be a nosy neighbor. But I really felt like the Lord just encouraged me to go over. So I crossed the street, looked around, and one of my neighbors, this elderly man, had fallen. Mm. 
like 10 p.m. Uh, and he was in pain, but he wasn't making any noise. Um, so I was able to get his wife, and we called an ambulance, and he's okay now. Now I have this developed relationship with a neighbor. And I was just able to pray with them while we were waiting for the ambulance. Um, and yeah, it's just been a really powerful new way to develop relationship with neighbors. Even when I'm feeling distant from the Lord, he does really speak and makes it very clear when he wants to speak. Amen. Yeah, and Mariel used the language, a check in her spirit, which I think is exactly what David is. That's just language for sensitivity in your heart, that his heart was struck. There's those moments where you just, you're going on autopilot and all of a sudden you go, what just happened? And it's, it's relational. The father is saying, come, pay attention, stop being on autopilot, pay attention to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to take care of a man who needs love. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move through. We're going to move on. Uh, I know you got more. We'll maybe pick it up. Let's, t- let's look at the second, ex- the second episode in this section of chapters, chapter 25. And uh, basically, David is now uh, moving around. Samuel dies. So uh, David moves down into the desert of Paran. That's a little bit further south of where he was in En Gedi and a little bit west. And there's a guy there who's got lots of sheep. And David's with his men. And they are out there. uh, And this is a vulnerable time. So they're out there just making sure nothing happens to these sheep. And they're... uh, they're realizing, hey, this guy's about to shear his sheep. It's, 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 it's harvest time, and uh, they, they want some food. So David sends his guys over and says, hey, we'd like to have some food. This guy says, well, who the heck are you guys? There's all kinds of people who run away from their masters, and he basically declines to help David. And David's immediate reaction is, strap on your swords, and we're going to go kill these guys, and, you know, May, De- may David be treated ever so severely if there's another male living in the next few minutes. So David and his men head into this guy's home, and all of a sudden, the, the wife of this guy realizes that her husband has done something stupid and now gets food together, hustles over to David, bows before him, and basically prophesies to him, saying, You're going to be a great king, and you don't want all this blood on your hands. God is going to take care of this for you. And by the way, here's some food for you and your men. A very wise woman who's also a prophet. And so David recognizes, all of a sudden, he recognizes that God has saved him from taking revenge. And so you see it here in David chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Um, David, uh, that next slide, there we go. David said to Abigail, this is the man's wife, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Now, God has already spoken in Deuteronomy chapter 32, which David would be very familiar with. The whole idea of uh, revenge is the Lord's. So David is now, through this prophet that God sent, so his initial reaction was sinful. His initial, he was going to take things into his own hands. God sends the prophet, uh, Abigail, and she 
uh, comes in and then uh, we recognize, David then recognizes God is moving here. This, this person, the guy in the cave, was not from God. This person is from God. He knows in his spirit. He then says, all right, bless you. And then we read the rest of the chapter. It's an amazing chapter because it trains David because all of a sudden David finds out that Nabal is killed by God. Nabal's name means fool. I don't know who would name their child Nabal, but this is not just a garden variety fool in Proverbs. This is the worst, nastiest, most evil type of... There's several words for fool, but this is like the worst word for fool. And so God moves and David uh, recognizes that. And so David comes into the end of the chapter and he says, when David heard that Nabal, so God kills Nabal, right? So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. So God is now teaching David, do not avenge yourself. This was one of the, do not def, you know, avenge your reputation. If you're managing your reputation, you're, you're not supposed to. If you're sitting here with some relationship in your life where you are wishing them badly, that's, that's a, a kind of a form of spiritual avenging. You, you need to recognize that and let the Holy Spirit check your spirit and be able to be a blessing to that person. God moves in crazy ways to set things right, to make, to make things right between people who are of him, who are praying. We, we have family members who are estranged. We are praying that God would break through and bring repentance to those estranged, stubborn family members. Um, my, my friend uh, told me a story. His brother... Uh, just relate to him. This is a crazy story. So the brother has a mother-in-law. The mother-in-law has been opposed to him marrying her daughter, to them having children. This is 30 years worth of opposition now. The, the woman has been nasty. She's been opposed to them having children. Every time they had a child, she was railing on them. Four months ago, she's diagnosed with terminal cancer, she has months to live. They say, what are we going to do now? The husband and, and, and uh, his wife with her mom. So they decide to do a fast. And they do a Daniel fast, like in Daniel chapter 10. And on the 21st day of their fast, the nasty mother-in-law calls him and says, I need Jesus. I'm, I'm literally, I need Jesus. So this woman gets filled with Jesus, gets filled with the Holy Spirit. She begins to bless her daughter, to bless the marriage, to bless the grandchildren that she has uh, heretofore ignored and found miserable. And then uh, near her death, she comes to them and she says, did you, did you have a fourth child? Because I saw a little boy with Jesus. And he said, he can't wait to meet you. And they looked at each other and they looked at her and they said, 
mom, we were pregnant for our fourth, but we never told you because we knew you would hate it. And we had a miscarriage at four and a half months. So we never told you. Yes, we had a fourth. So God moved and healed that person. God moved, and, and what we want to see in this second section is do not avenge yourself. Do not take things into your own hands, but let God, especially let God deal with troubled situations, troubled marriage, troubled relatives, troubled things. Let God energize yourself in fasting and praying. You want to do something constructive in this upcoming election season? Fast and pray that no one would interfere with our electoral system, right? And that the result, whatever it is, would be accepted by both parties so we don't stumble into darkness. Let, let that be our prayer. Let's fast for that. That would be constructive. Let God move. Jamie. So just thinking again practically, okay, so we've talked about, obviously we know scripture guides us in decision making. We saw this check in the spirit or this heart being struck. Um, but now we see a balancing. Um, emotions are good and they can be used. Let, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So emotions are good. They are not always reliable. So I'm just balancing what we just said. I'm just balancing what we just said. Don't go off of just my heart was struck all the time. There is a balance to these things. If you notice, David is highly emotional. He's angry, right? And he's set. Um, and he's actually confronted with a prophetess, with a female prophet. And so what I, what I just want to throw out there, there are times where Everything around us says, this is the plan. I've set my goal. I've written my goals down for the next 90 days. I know what I'm going to do. And there are times where the Lord will send someone to you who will say clearly, that's not what you're supposed to do. See, we want to be in community so that we can hear from other people. Are you all hearing me? It's not just what you feel. The will of God does not come to you just because of what you feel. You can have peace all day. That doesn't mean that's the Lord's will. I'm, I'm helping us see that we need multiple things happening in a situation to know what the Lord's will is. You may feel all kinds of peace and it still be sin against God. Sometimes you need community that looks at that and says, I don't think that's the Lord. I don't think that's from the Lord at all. Now, it's interesting. He already had community. Remember his guys. And he has community right now. All the guys have strapped their swords on. His community is saying, let's get them. But a random mm. lady comes out of nowhere. So are you open to someone from out of nowhere entering into your world and speaking truth? Are you willing to someone who is beneath you? You know, in this culture, this wife does not have really the, um, the standing to speak to David. Do you all know that? The question that I often think through, am I willing to hear the word of God from a kid? Am I willing to hear the word of God from someone that I don't see is on my level? I hope you understand my language there. I'm not anti-kids, but you. 
here's this woman. She prophesies to him. He goes, oh, that's actually God's will. And he changes based off of this prophetic word. I want to be in a community where we're regularly doing that to one another. Mm-hmm. Where we're speaking. We're in each other's lives enough that we don't have to have someone random from outside to come and speak. So just thinking practically, scripture, yes. Community, yes. Your heart, yes. But sometimes somebody will just randomly come and speak the word of the Lord to you. Amen. want to be sensitive to it. Amen. Let me just say, just in this marriage, Nabal and Abigail, um, if you find yourself being ornery and nasty in your marriage right now because of COVID and stress and all this other stuff going on, like, let me invite you to repent today. Today. Just stop it. Stop it. Take ownership for it. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Um, we know this is a stressful time, but it's no time to be in the ball. And interestingly, you know, God, God gives and God takes away. Saul, in an effort to vindicate himself against David, has taken away the wife, Michael, who hated worship and didn't, wasn't a worshiper and has given him instead Abigail, the widow, prophetess, the wise widow, prophetess. So open it up to uh, you guys for a minute or so on chapter 2, chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. Anything that you want to share? We've got one back here. Right. It's good. Amen. All right, let's jump into chapter 3, chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, the third chapter this morning. Now here we see the progression of David. David David has begun. uh, He had this don't hurt the Lord's anointed thing, but he still cut off his robe. Then he, to a somebody, then he met a nobody and was ready to kill him and needed further training of the heart. And now we have the third installment, and Saul is still after David. Uh, They're moving deeper into the desert. They're running after him. And in this third section, uh, David is now uh, over top on a canyon looking down, and Saul and his guys all fall asleep. And somewhere in there it says the Lord put them in a deep sleep, which is kind of like when he did when Adam was created and he was about to do the cloning thing to make Eve. Uh, he put Abraham into a deep sleep. Uh, these, these, these are not, this doesn't happen very often. This is a supernatural yeah. deep sleep. 
So David says, okay, I'm going to go down there. Um, who's coming with me? And Abishai says, I'm going to come with you. And by the way, uh, this is the time that God is going to make right on everything. And uh, David says to Abishai, and, and Abishai is ready to run him through. And David says, and we've got the scripture here, chapter 26, verse 9 and following. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. Now David has moved beyond living out of his emotions. He's now quoting Deuteronomy 32 again. And then he's now prophesying. David is a prophet. He's now saying, the Lord has now clearly told David, look, uh, I'm going to take care of this. And so David is saying, look, the Lord's going to strike him or his time will come and he will die or go into battle and die. But I'm not going to be personally manhandling this situation because he's moved into a deeper place with God. He's now got revelation himself. He's now clearly... It's very clear. So he takes the spear and the water jug and he runs back to the top of the hill overlooking where everybody's asleep. This is the spear that Saul has used three times to try to kill him. This is the spear that Saul used to try to kill Jonathan. And David has now total restraint and he yells back down, Hey, Abner, I got the spear. I got the water bottle. You didn't protect your king. Nah, 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 nah. And they all wake up, and Saul realizes, oh my gosh. So Saul finally comes to the place where he recognizes that David is going to flourish, that David is uh, more loving than him, more godly than him, more of a man than him. And so this is the final meeting and we see that they go their own ways and they will never see each other again after this. And David has learned not to take it into his own hands, but you can see his heart is in a totally different place now. And he's not reacting and he's not taking advantage of the circumstance because he knows he's got revelation. He knows what God wants. So... This week I received a prophetic word from somebody that said I should go to this event happening in Washington, D.C. called The Return and that I should represent Cincinnati and bring some message to this gathering that's going on. Uh, and it's an interesting word because it comes from a person who's got, who's got a reputation in our city for prayer and prophetic words. But also what that person didn't know is that I'm watching my amazing grandsons this coming weekend. And it's not a one-man job. <laughs> so I now am praying through that. I'd like you to pray through that with me because I'm, I'm seeking to know, okay, what does God want? If, if he wants me to go there, I'll go. But it's, it's something I'm going to have to hear. So now I've got a real-world my, my I will statement this week is to not only pass on what I learned in studying the character of David with four men that I'm discipling that I will meet with this week, 
but it's also to figure out, am I supposed to go to this meeting in Washington, D.C.? So it's practical, it's real, and David has come now through these three chapters, through a clear journey, his heart's being shaped and trained by God to hear and know and decide what he's supposed to do. Jamie? Yeah, so again, thinking practical, and then I want to quote uh, Christine from online. Um, just thinking practically, when I read this chapter, because I'm thinking along the lines of, okay, what do we learn from David about decision-making and following God's will? And I was struck by the fact God put Saul and all the soldiers to sleep. This is a supernatural blessing for, for David, right? Like this is a, a circumstance of favor. This is what we would call an open door. Are y'all hearing me? How many times have I seen an open door and I just assume, well, God's blessing this, so I should just go? I mean, seriously, this is your enemy, and now God has sovereignly put him to sleep? Strike him. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be too complex and nuanced here, but again, even favorable circumstances does not mean God is in it. Even because you're being blessed by something doesn't mean that God is saying go. Again, it's the combination of all of these things. It's the word of God, yes. And this is what Christine says. She says, it sounds like the main thing is our connection with God. Yes, ma'am. He can use whatever means he chooses to reveal his will to us. Emotions, scripture, prophecy, community. But we rely on him rather than just these things. Preach it. That's exactly right. Amen. That's exactly right. So just because it's a favorable, favorable circumstance doesn't mean that's the will of God to go now. So it's the combination of those things and your relational connection to God that is speaking and allows you to understand, is this the will of God or not? Now, I just want to encourage everybody. In the New Covenant, the prophet says clearly to us, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I want to encourage you and, and I want you to feel a sense of the Father is not hiding his will from you. Right. He will speak clearly. In Dennis's circumstance, the father isn't like, oh, I hope he doesn't get it wrong. <laughs> no, the father is going to reveal clearly to Dennis what he's supposed to do. And he will do the same for you. It's about, am I relationally connected to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And am I walking with him? That's how we know God's will. So just want to throw that out there, just practically. And that's why we're focusing on obedience, because I want to put an asterisk. God will make it clear if your heart is in an open stance of obedience. Yeah. If you're playing games with him, he will hide himself from you. So Jesus knew the Father's will and the timing of the Father. He, he rebuked Peter's effort to avoid the cross. He avoided plans to make him king by force. He refused to assign seats in his kingdom that wasn't up to him to do. He yielded his will in Gethsemane. He deferred to the Father on the timing of Israel's kingdom reinstatement, and he did not defend himself. So he knew, and we have that very same thing. And in summary, we've got a chart here um, that 
we can learn to know the Lord's will and timing because we've got all applicable scripture, in this case, Deuteronomy 32, uh, whispers of the Holy Spirit from prophetics or, or friends, uh, soundings of my conscience, friends and community, uh, circumstances and situation, uh, and, and peace. And, and, and we would say, look at all these things and let them just wait until they're pointing in the right direction. They're all together. And if you've got conflict or someone who's dead set against this, who's got a position of authority in your life, then relent. Wait. God will make it perfectly clear. And when you've considered all these things and you do have peace, then you can be confident that you are moving in the right direction. So we're going to throw it open now to have anybody who would like to share an I will statement, something that as you studied this text this week, something that uh, God showed you earlier or even this morning in the commentaries, please share with us uh, and we will close uh, with worship. So anybody, open floor. All right, we've got one over here. Uh, my will statement is that I am not going to get into arguments with my family about politics. But I'm going to pray for them. And last night was, I had to put the phone down. It was getting ugly. That was, I hadn't gotten ugly yet, but it was going to get ugly again. And the Lord just said, put the phone down. Just to pray for them. Let, let Amen. It's good. Excellent. Anybody else? Good. It's good. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. By the way, that has great value in marriage, parenting, uh, relationships with coworkers. Absolutely. Um, people can feel when things are getting forced. All right. Well, we're going to uh, wrap up. I think I don't see any comments from the online crew. So we're going to wrap up with worship today. We're going to we're going to remind ourselves that God is faithful. Like Jamie said, he's not hiding. He's not playing a game with us. It's not like we have to dig down and find the golden thread. He wants to speak to us. More than that, he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. And it is in that that he wants to uh, lead us through the navigations, the the rocky crags of life, the steep canyons of life, uh, the places, and he wants to bring us to the places of still waters, restore our souls. And so he's training us. He's training David in the desert. 
He trains all his leaders in the desert. And when you're in a desert like COVID-19 or whatever desert you may be in, he's actually training you to hear his voice. He's training you to be the person he's created you to be and redeemed you to be. So if you're here today and you, you have wondered about Christianity, you're watching online, you've wondered, but what does it mean to follow Jesus? What we're saying is that it's a relationship, that he will open your eyes to things unseen. He will open your eyes to the, to the realities around you. He will show you things. He will put things in your heart. He will put people around you. He will take your circumstances and he will bring you into a living relationship uh, of joy and peace and love and abundance that transforms everything around you and everything in you to be the type of person that can be a follower of Jesus. He does it for us. So as he's trained David, training David to become a king, he's training us to become rulers with him, subduers with him of the new creation, of the thing that is coming, which is the kingdom of God. And when we do that, when we walk into that, we have miracles, we have signs and wonders, we have supernatural uh, results of our prayers, like that mother-in-law who is rock hard, and 21 days of fasting broke her for the kingdom. And we can do the exact same thing. So Father, as we wrap this time up this morning, we give ourselves to you afresh. We invite, Lord, those that need prayer to text uh, or to meet us on the patio. But Lord, I just pray for a supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit over this congregation, over our time, that we would hear your voice, that we'd, we would know your heart, that we would bring the word into living obedience so that you can do what only you can do in our lives. And we do this for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the well-being of all those around us. And God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. So let's worship our faithful creator together.